He's amused Cam Newton. An American woman. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, would you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go Tario. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. I see, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. You are on a Wednesday drive where for the first time in a dozen years, there will be an NBA Finals game played in the Boston Garden tonight. And somebody needs to get into Jason Tatum's ear and deliver this message. You are a superstar. And super t- superstars, they're supposed to show up in Game 3 of the NBA Finals. They're supposed to show up for games like tonight. It's remarkable. He checks every box a bona fide superstar does. All-ACC at Duke. First-team All-NBA. Best player on a Finals team. Perhaps the best two-way player in the sport. Yet he sounded like he doesn't know it. He's like Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls. The classic pretty girl that doesn't know he's pretty yet. She's pretty yet. You see what I'm trying to say here. This was Tatum when meeting with the media yesterday. I've I've seen there's a huge debate. Is he a superstar? Is he not? Uh, I want to know where that came from. Like, did I tweet that? Did I ever say that I'm a superstar? Or, you know, I'm on the verge. Like, that never came from me. But it has been a big deal this last year and a half or two years. Um... And I see it all the time. And there's always been a question in the back of my head. Like, I wonder who spoke on my behalf or said that or why that was such a big deal. Um, But, you know, if you win a championship, they can debate a lot of things. They can debate whether or not, you know, you're a champion. So the producer of this show is Will Dalton taking your calls at 777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Radio. Hello, Will. Hello, Josh. There are only seven players, Will. I'd take over Jason Tatum right now. Seven. Giannis, LeBron, KD, Steph, Embiid, Luka, and Jokic. Those are the seven guys. I wanted to add Kawhi to that list. Sure as heck want to add Harden or Kyrie on that list. Not Chris, not Booker. I would take... Tatum, I think Tatum's the eighth best player in the NBA. If I got to win one game tonight, only seven dudes in the league I'd rather have than Tatum. He's a superstar. But he hasn't had a great finals game yet. In game one, he had his worst shooting night in 2022. Did some good things passing the ball, but it was his worst shooting night of this calendar year. In game two, he had five turnovers and didn't really share the ball all that well. Minus 36 and plus minus. He needs to have a great game tonight to reestablish who the best team in this series is. And it's Boston. The Celtics, they earned home court. Now you got to protect it. If they do tonight and Friday, they'll go up 3-1. And the Warriors, they blow 3-1 leads. They don't come back from 3-1 down. I like Boston tonight. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. Both teams exceeding 100 points. Give me the Celtics to win by seven tonight. And it's because of Jason Tatum. I think he'll be the best player on the floor tonight. Somebody just needs to get in his ear, though, and say, yo, you check all the boxes. If if you look like a superstar and you act like a superstar, you're a superstar. You went to Duke. You played for Coach K. You're a first-team All-ACC guy. You were a top-three draft pick. 
you're the best two-way player in the game. You, you play for the Boston Celtics. You're the best player on a team that's in the finals. You are a superstar. I'm really excited for our first guest today, who's going to join us in a little less than 10 minutes. It's ECU baseball coach Cliff Godwin and his teams, his team, going to be hosting a Super Regional in two days. But let's save the pirate talk, arg, for when he joins us. Talk about the heels right now, though. I think the cards have fallen perfectly for Carolina baseball to get the Omaha. I really like the matchup they got. They have Arkansas at home. This is not the same Hogs team that NC State barely squeaked by in Fayetteville a year ago in order to get to Omaha. That team had a whole lot better pitching. Don't believe me? Look how look at the scores at the Stillwater Regional this past weekend. Now, Arkansas's got bats. We know that. That's how they got out of that regional. But this Arkansas team's not a national seed. They're not hosting. They're on the road against a team that wasn't a national seed either. And North Carolina is rolling right now. There's a chance Carolina, along with, say, Tennessee, who's the number one team, and I think there's a gap between one and whoever you view number two to be. I think if you take Tennessee off the board, the two hottest teams in college baseball right now just might be the Tar Heels and East Carolina. ECU's lost one game in the last month and change. North Carolina has won 24 of its last 25. They are legit hot. They've got a legit ace. They've got a stud in Vance Honeycutt in the middle of that infield. By the way, Vance Honeycutt, perfect North Carolina name. Hey, what's your name? Rolling into Bob's. My name's Vance Honeycutt. You're going to fit in just well over here. You you like cookout, don't you? The WD. No, no, no. He's not about cookout. You don't think? No. What do you think he's about? Costco hot dog? No, 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 no. That's not the spots that Vance Honeycutt frequents. I don't think frequents. so either. No, I think he's he, he likes uh, some salmon, maybe a little bit of caviar. I don't know. This guy's eating kale on the reg. Carolina ballplayers love cookout, just for the record. Is that right? <laughs> you have, you have I'm good one of them. You have good information on that. I'm talking about in... the University of North Carolina, not State of North Carolina. Yeah, but... Those are different types of ball players. The one that the ones that play at ECU and the ones that play at Carolina. That that's very valid. The story fits though, doesn't it? We hear about the randomness of college baseball, and it's true. NC State was struggling in the middle of last year, got hot, got to the tournament, and then bad things happened in Omaha. It's all about who gets hot at the end, and Carolina's red hot right now. And wouldn't it be the most NC State stuff thing possible? For the year that NC State, a year after they get eliminated and sent home from Omaha the way that they did, they get left out of the tournament, first team left out, and this is the year that North Carolina not only gets to Omaha but wins the World Series. That would be so NC State stuff. We suck. Totally different story in Chapel Hill than the one... You've got in Greenville, America, my old stomping grounds. Cliff Goblin going to join us in a second. It's one of the best stories here in the state. And I feel like a lot of people don't know the story. And if you don't, I encourage you to stick around because it really is something that would even tug on your heartstrings. 
BDOT, sixth man of Carolina basketball, will join us in studio a little bit later on this hour. So there's a lot of stuff for us to do today. Brian Geisiger, a guest on the show, getting us set for finals game three tonight. I watched Top Gun. I'll tell you about that. We've got grammar school on tap. But as I mentioned, the ECU Pirates are hosting the University of Texas this weekend with a trip to the College World Series on the line. Their first ever College World Series if they get there. Their coach is Cliff Goblin, and he's one of the best stories in the state of North Carolina right now, and he's going to join us next on The Drive. The hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. This makes me nostalgic. I'm overcome with nostalgia right now, Will Dalton, because I used to, Monday mornings in the spring, chat with our next guest at 9 o'clock sharp. And we talk about a myriad of things, mostly baseball-related. It is East Carolina baseball coach Cliff Godwin who's with us here. His team hosting a Super Regional against the University of Texas starting Friday at high noon. Ballpark me on this front, Cliff. How many requests for tickets have you received in the last 48 hours? Too many. Too many to count, Josh. Uh, thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to hear your voice. And I'd imagine here in the triad, there's a likely a large portion of people who do not know about your old coach at ECU, Keith LeClaire, and why you wear the number 23 uh, years after his death of ALS. But you tell me and explain to our audience here, what does Coach LeClaire mean to Pirate Baseball today, and how important was the idea of ECU and Omaha to him? Well, we probably don't have enough time for me to tell you exactly what he means to ECU Baseball, but, um, you know, just going back when Coach LeClaire was hired, uh, he, he brought a vision to ECU Baseball, and a vision of where, you know, I was on his first team, and we broke down on Omaha. That was something that we did, and a year later, we were a number one seed in 1999, um, but we couldn't host here on campus. We had to host at LSU 2000. We went to Louisiana Lafayette as number one seed. Finally, in 01, we hosted a regional in Wilson as a number one seed and then a super regional in Kinston um, as the seventh national seed. So that's when the money was raised for uh, Clark LeClaire Stadium with those teams because Pirate Nation wanted to be able to host regionals and super regionals on campus. And um, unfortunately, Coach was diagnosed with ALS and uh, was the acting head coach in 2002, but had to step down uh, because of the disease. And then he passed away in the summer of 2006. So, um, you know, that's great, you know, from a, just a, a coaching part of it. But what he meant to the players that played for him, like myself and Eric Backage, Nick Schnabel, uh, Bryant Ward, who are all college coaches, uh, Clayton McCullough, who's the first base coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and many more. Um, you know, he was a mentor to us and, and taught us even uh, more stuff than our parents did as far as or added on to what our parents taught us of, you know, developing us into men and how to do it the right way. And um, that's why I wear the number 23 is in honor of him, as Eric and Nick do and Bryant does. Um, so, uh, yeah, we want to carry on his legacy of what he meant to us and for Pirate Nation, of course. Even if I know you're so dead set on this weekend and Texas and Tunnel Vision, the entire deal, 
have you been able to at least take a step back and think of your coach and appreciate this week that all that hard work has finally been able to pay off in that on campus for the first time, this stadium's going to be hosting a super regional out east? Um, <laughs> Josh, yes and no. Um, you know, I got to spend about 30 minutes with Lynn LeClaire and Audrey, um, Coach LeClaire's daughter, Lynn's his wife, in my office on Sunday for about 30 minutes. And, um, you know, but it, even when we won, it just doesn't feel, almost feels like a dream because we've been trying so hard to do this. And um, it'll set into me probably Friday <laughs> about the first <laughs> pitch or when the crowd roars that, hey, we actually – uh, have accomplished uh, hosting a super regional on campus, but um, I'm just happy for our university, our baseball program, for so many players that have played for Coach Sequeira and before um, that just wanted to see this happen, and um, it's going to be exciting. Cliff Goblin with us here at ECU Baseball Coach, and one thing I appreciate about you getting to know you a little bit, you're a guy who put your money where your mouth is. How many jobs have you turned down because of this goal, this vision that you're so dead set to achieve at ECU? Josh, I wouldn't say, look, I'm not going to get into turning down jobs. Uh, I have, uh, you know, had some opportunities to probably um, leave for more money, of course. And this place means a lot to me, man. Like uh, the the monetary figure of uh, just putting some more dollars in your bank account, um, you know, you can't put a price tag on what just happened in Greenville, North Carolina this past weekend. Um, and also uh, last year and in 2019, and even when we hosted in 18, um, the passion that the, the people have for this place and my former teammates that are my best friends. Um, and now all the players that have played for me that I get to run around the jungle and see their faces and smack their hands like Tyler Smith and, um, you know, Sam Lanier and all the professional guys that couldn't be there because they're playing professional baseball um, is pretty special. What does it say about your program and really how special the format of this tournament is that perhaps the most decorated and I would say richest baseball program in America, the University of Texas, has to go through Greenville, North Carolina to get to Omaha? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I this time of the year, I don't look at the, the opposing team like I don't – everybody's good. I mean, Texas is extremely good. Um, we're probably not as talented as them, but we have beat a lot of teams this year that we haven't been as talented as. So that's been the neat thing about this team. And the thing I will appreciate the most is when everybody counted us out, um, those guys just kept showing up and continue to get closer to one another. And, the sum of our parts are way more than the individual pieces for sure. I'll own it. I, I, I thought you guys were in bad shape in February when you, you lose your race and the entire deal, but you, you've put it, your team in the position to go to Omaha and you might put me in a tough position next week, coach, because I've always said if ECU ever goes to Omaha, I'm going to be there to watch it when it happens. But I get, married, get married, right? The day before <laughs> the day before <laughs> Omaha and the entire deal. I don't know. Like she's probably in the car listening right now. If you want to help do one of those things that could get me out of it, where I can go to Omaha, I I'd appreciate that, Coach. Well, Josh, I, I don't want to get her on uh, my bad side, so I'm going to let her make that decision. Um, we would love to have you if we were 
uh, we had the opportunity to go out there, but uh, you, you know, hopefully you only do this mayor's thing once. So <laughs> I'm not going to get in the way of that. Thanks. I'll have to make my way to um, Greenville this weekend. And uh, I know a lot of people are pulling at you. That's why I'm very appreciative that you made the time for the triad today, shared some stories as well. Best of luck. You know we'll be rooting for you this weekend, Coach. Thanks, Josh, and congrats on uh, getting married, buddy. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. That's Cliff Godwin, ECU baseball coach. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. The sixth man of Carolina basketball, BDOT, going to be in studio in 15 minutes. Earlier today, though, we heard from Panthers defensive coordinator Phil Snow. And I think we've seen enough and we've heard enough through two seasons now, going on his third season, to make a judgment on edge rusher Etor Grossmatos. He's a bust, and I think the coaches know it now. This guy was taken well, in the second round. Second round pick. Etor Grossmatos. Only six sacks in two seasons. Now, I get it. He was dealing with an injury. Health was a factor. COVID potentially a factor too. But he appeared in 26 games. And it's not like he was ever the primary focus by a quarterback or the offensive line. Brian Burns was on the other side. Hassan Reddick was out there. You had ample opportunity to prove, hey, makes sense that I was close to being a first-round pick. Remember, the Panthers had two first, two second-rounders when they traded up to take Jeremy Chin in 2020. Etor was the first of those two second-rounders. The staff might not even utilize him as an edge rusher anymore. This was a telling quote by Phil Snow earlier today when asked to clarify on a comment late in the season when he said that it might be best to use Etor on the inside, the interior D-line. Well, okay, so um, on third down, you know, you, ideally you'd like Marquise and, and Burns off the edges, right, and then put uh, Etor inside. But, you know, I think that Derek has come a long ways – I think that's enough of the clip. Etor, inside. We're best set with Marquise Haynes being out on the edge. And Etor being an interior defensive lineman, that's not what he was drafted to do. You're not drafting that guy early in the second round. And then he was asked a little bit later on who would replace Hassan Reddick. And he listed off a handful of players. Haynes. Lubu, Littleton, Damian Wilson. Went through a long list until he eventually called himself and said, yeah, yeah, Etor, he'll be in that mix too. Okay. This guy was taken in the second round. This wasn't a late fifth flyer. No. Second round draft pick. Just a few years ago. And he's not even seen as the guy on third down you'd want as your edge. We got Burns and we got Marquis Haynes. Okay. And now Etor is going to be on the inside. Uh-huh. Let's chalk this up to another mid-round miss 
by Marty Herney, or I guess it qualifies as an early round miss. He was pretty good on first round picks. When he drafted in the top 10, these were his top 10 picks, his entire run as the Carolina Panthers GM will. The WD, it was Jordan Gross, Cam Newton, Luke Keekley, and Derek Brown. Those were the that's the list of guys that Marty Herney drafted with a top 10 draft pick. Pretty good bat, pretty good batting average. We'll see about Derek Brown, what he turns out to be. But in the second round, that's where things got squirrely. Remember when the Panthers gave up a first round pick to trade into the second round to take Everett Brown? Or I guess it would have been late first. Remember uh, the Dwayne Jarrett pick? I do. Armonte Edwards? That didn't really go well either. Add Etor Gross Matos to that miss, to that list of second rounders that didn't quite pan out for the Carolina Panthers. As I mentioned, BDOT, six man of Carolina basketball, going to join us in studio in about 10 minutes. I watched Top Gun last night, went to the movie theater, and I want to give a PSA. PSA to anybody listening to this thinking about going back to a movie theater. Get off your freaking phone. Please. Please. I would appreciate that. There was this gentleman sitting right next to me who thought no one was going to see his bright light when about a dozen times during the movie, he'd have his phone out. Just turn it off. And you think nobody can hear it when it vibrates? Guess what? We can. You're being a jerk. So don't don't be that person. That's what I'm saying. Should I have said something? I mean, was it like a big issue? No. Then, how, but but again, this guy this guy probably thinks it's not a problem what he's doing, and it is a problem. I'm talking about it on my radio show right now. I mean, and you may have said this, and I missed it. Did he at least have the brightness down, no. or was this thing just like poof? It was bright. Okay, that, see, that's when it gets bad. In California, if you pull out your phone at all, you get admonished immediately. In a movie theater, yeah. Take that I thing believe out. It. Whatever. And, and they do, they stand and they applaud when the movie ends, all the entire deal. Well, I've been in movie theaters and like, you know, right before Star Wars is about to roll, I'll pull my phone out to either put it on vibrate or to turn the brightness down just in case. Just turn it off. <laughs> well, the point is, is like my brightness was maybe even halfway up and it is blinding. Turn it off. Like, why do you need it on? It's your life's not that important. It isn't. <laughs> Your whatever's going on in your life is not that important. Oh, but I have kids. I don't care. You chose to go to a movie. Top Gun. That's that's the matter at hand here. That's right. Top if Gun. you chose to go to a movie theater, turn your phone off. It's why, again, I enjoyed going to the Chris Rock show last week mm-hmm. where they locked your phone up. So people aren't on their phone during shows. I think that should be required at any indoor show. I wouldn't even mind if Cameron Indoor Stadium did that. Hey. We're going to lock up your phones. Smith Center. We're going to lock up your phones. I wouldn't even mind. Wouldn't. Take the master's approach where nobody's on their phone. 336-777-1600. Where do you stand on it? As for the movie itself, I loved it. And I don't even think you have to see, this is good news for Will, I don't even think you have to have seen the first Top Gun in order to really like this movie. I liked everything about it. Loved it. It seemed like a throwback in a lot of different ways 
where you know the movie, there are people who say, well, the movie has to be about something. It's got to be deep. It has to be profound. It has to have like a, a message of what's really important, you know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't need any of those things. I mean, that works too. Now, well, some movies try to force feed it, and then you get 42, which is terrible. Yeah. This movie does not. Guess what? It's a movie about the military and the people who are in the military who are mostly awesome, talented people, usually really good-looking people, doing awesome things for two hours and 15 minutes. And you leave, like the movie delivers on everything you want. It's not predictable, and it gives you everything you want at the same time, which is a huge compliment to the movie. But if it was going to mean something a little bit more, it's probably this. I think this movie was very meaningful to Tom Cruise. There's like a little, and you're not going to find any spoilers here, so if you're worried about that, no spoilers. But at the very beginning... Like, before the movie even starts, I don't know if they do this at every theater, but maybe they do. Tom Cruise appears on the screen and thanks everybody for going to see this movie and going to a movie theater. And this is something that means a lot to him. And the movie, in a sense, like, this is the plot. You can find it in the trailer. is about an older maverick, Tom Cruise, who's trying to grapple with the fact that he can't do everything that he once did. And that his industry is moving on without him. And there are points in the movie where it seemed especially poignant, and I guarantee you Tom Cruise today probably relates a lot to the character he was playing in this movie because Tom Cruise himself probably can't do, even though he tries and succeeds on a lot of fronts, all the stunts that he used to and do all the different tricks and maneuvers that he wants to, or be the believable lead in a movie at in his early 60s. You, you can't really be that guy as much anymore. But it was an awesome movie. I strongly suggest it. It might heighten it a little bit if you've seen the first one, because there are some nostalgia points that you can relate to and notice. But I'm a huge Miles Teller fan. I think Cruz, still a massive movie star, hit all the notes. Jennifer Connelly, almost everything I've ever seen her in, I love. Big fan of Jennifer Connelly. Sarah Bradford and I had a great time at the movies last night. Really, really enjoyed it. We're going to have a great time at the movies here in the studio tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. At the movies with Will Dalton. Right. Tonight, you're going to watch Seven. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you're going to love it. I think so, too. See, Top Gun, feel-good movie, seven, fucking family movie, seven, similar category. You're going to watch that tonight and uh, let us know what you think. Will Dalton's never seen it before, so he doesn't know for what he's about to get himself into, the type of love in his heart he's going to feel, the optimism for society he'll feel after watching seven. Ready? Yes. Punch up the audio for me now. Coming up at 6, The Rich Eisen Show. Now back to Josh Graham and The Drive. We'll get back to game four. 
Game four, game three. NBA Finals tonight in Boston. Do that in about 15 minutes or so. But BDOT, there is one note. I don't know how we've buried the lead this long that we need to get to about the finals. Mike Breen going to be back on the call tonight. He missed game seven of Heat Celtics and the first two games of the finals due to COVID. But it will be the full trio of Breen, Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson on the call tonight. Bang! <laughs> I've missed Breen. Bang! As good as it gets. Love it. Not a Mark <laughs> Jackson guy. Not at all. Love Mark Jackson. You like Mark? Dot Love does. Mark. Love him. Dot still wants Mark Jackson to be the Hornets coach. I would love for him to be the Hornets coach. I think he'd be great for Melo. Who do you like out of the candidates that are, we know are front runners meeting with Jordan this week? Only one I know of is D'Antoni. And honestly, you've... you've Kenny you, um, Atkinson. I mean, I know of the name, but I don't know really the coach. I'm not really... I'm would not, you want Quinn Schneider? Buddy from Utah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just because he looks like a villain. He does. That's pretty good. Kenny Atkinson would be coming from the Warriors. So... And he was once just the head coach of the Nets. I, actually, never mind. He don't want him now. No, I, I actually he would like that. I would like that system. I don't like the well, that's Warriors. My, that was my thinking. Yeah, I, I would but like that system. He I didn't like run. He didn't start that system. No, he but, he, game, but he built it. But he, he didn't build it, but he's been in it long enough to be able to say, mm -hmm. yo, yeah, well, we're going to take some pieces well, of this. James Borrego came from San Antonio. Guess what? He's not Greg Popovich, we've come to find out. But who would have wanted a San Antonio-style offense? Not me. I would. That wouldn't have even been appealing to me. Him, the only thing that I would have liked from that is possibly the discipline that he would have gotten from Popovich. But no, like a coach from the tree of that Golden State cloth, like I would think that would be a high octane offensive production type coach thought process. And I'm with that, just like D'Antoni. Well, it's about time. Oh, let's go. Got to get my words for grammar school. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. It is. And we've been playing this game for about two years. We were playing with five words last season. This season, we play with three. And I'm telling you, I'll be sitting there the night before thinking, like, how many more words can I give this guy? And then three more will hit me, and I'll say, yep, we got another episode. So welcome back to another episode of Grammar School, where we ask Josh Graham three urban words or phrases to see how well he does. And if he gets two out of three correct, he moves and gets an ad, a, a, a satisfactory grade, I guess you should say. But this is season two. So he has a word of the, of the caucastic persuasion that he would like to throw to me first. I don't know if baseball is caucastic, but hmm. in the 90s, there used to be, I think, about a fifth of the sport the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Today, I think 8% of Major League Baseball yeah, is black. Yes. Or, so it's it's caucastic than a mug, Josh. Mm -hmm. uh, I played it. I would know these. Yeah, so you could ask WD. WD. Uh, I watched Top Gun last night, the new one. And in the first Top Gun, there was a scene where Tom Cruise wanted to do a prank on some of the folks at the naval base who were at the air tower where he was flying a plane. 
and there was an expression where you fly the plane as close as you can without harming the control tower, but getting so close to it that you scare people, and it was called buzzing the tower. Mm -hmm. There's a baseball term called buzzing the tower. What does that mean in the context of baseball to buzz the tower? To buzz the tower. I'll even give you a hint. Hmm. It's something a pitcher does. Damn, it doesn't. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that because that totally negates what I was going to use. As you were going to say like a home run going really no, far. No, 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 no. That wasn't that's, that wasn't what I was going to say at all. I was going to say it's when you call someone like when they when they're in the dugout and they call the people like mm-hmm. buzz in the tower. That's what I thought. But if it's something that a pitcher does, mm-hmm. to buzz the tower. To buzz the tower. He throws the ball real close to you, yo. But he doesn't hit you. He throws it close, but it doesn't hit you. Final answer. That's exactly right. Heck yeah. Like you throw one inside, brush him off the plate. Yeah. Play, they were doing the that a lot um, in the High game. High fastball. What, was, what, what game? Who were they just playing? VCU. Yeah. VCU was doing that a lot to them um, Diamond Hills. And, and, but they would trick them sometimes because the Diamond Hills would try to scoot out of the way. But nah, it wasn't inside. It was really a strike right there on the corner. Bing! And they would catch him. But they were having problems with the ump too. So we really don't know. Buzz the tower. Buzz the tower. I only got that because of the reference to the Tom Cruise. I appreciate that. That was a nice alley-oop you gave me. I won't be so kind. No, you won't. Up first. What does it mean, Josh Graham, to flick me up? Rather than flick you off. Correct. No relation. Flick me up. Absolutely no relation. But what does it mean to flick me up. I'm going to say it's synonymous with hype you up, like to turn you up. Mm. You might be down and this will like cheer you up to flick you up. Is that your final answer? That is. That is incorrect. Uh, yeah. Could have had a lifeline there, Josh. I could have helped you out. Sorry. Flick me up is take my picture. <laughs> like take a flick, yo. Flick me up. Like, I like that. You I'm gonna start, flick me up, man. I, I, I'm going to start using that. Yeah, use that one now. Flick me up. I'm going to start saying that at my wedding. Yo, flick me up. If you're listening to something and you, and you hear someone says, yo, that knock. K-N-O-C-K. That knock. Or that knocks. What does that mean? What are they talking about, Josh Brown? What are they saying to you? If something knocks, what is it doing? I wonder. I remember the first time. I was in a car that had bass, like real bass on it. It was a 2006, like convertible, not a convertible. It I was, was like, it was a Mustang, mm. red Mustang that I was in. Hard top. Yeah, mm. hard top. And it was the song Party Like a Rockstar mm. by the Shop Boys mm. with a Z. And the place was shaking. So I think... When a song knocks or something knocks, mm-hmm. it's really good, but it's also a song that got some bass on it. It's a good song. It knocks and it has some bass. Is that your final answer, Josh Graham? That's what I think. That is 100% correct. Yeah! That is correct. When that joint knocked, the bass is in that bit. You hear the whole trunk uh, on it rattling. Shakes the window. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, Josh. It knocks. It knocks. The show knocks. It does. When we're out, I'll be like, yo, flick me up. 
So I got my lifeline, and I got one more word here to try and get a passing grade. If you want to help me out, 336-777-1600, what is the final word? It's been a while since we've had one of these, Josh Graham, and I remember my good friend Robbie. He used to love when I gave you these. But oh, this, the, don't tell me it's the acronym. It's or, definitely an acronym, Josh Graham. Uh, and what's crazy is my daughter hit me with this one the other day, and I was like, yo, what does that mean? And she laughed hysterically and told me. And I said, oh, well, I've got to make sure I hip the audience to this because clearly we need to be in the loop. Joshua Graham, what does it mean to AFK? When I hear AF, I hear ask for. Mm, that's a good AF. Yeah. Or ask. There's another AF. Mm-hmm. I can't say on the radio. Yeah, that's my one right there. Give me the context again. Since she- it's your daughter, how old your daughter? My daughter's 10. Yes. I don't think... It's related to the AF you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So AFK. I like the way WD is playing along as well. WD is 100% locked in. He's staring at me. He's not going to Google onto us and cheating. He really wants to get this. I like the intensity in your eyes, WD. And obviously, I have the lifeline, so you can help me out if you have any thoughts. Clearly, he is of no assistance. Did you not just see the blank stare on it? So he well, was a people deer. in the audience are of I, no assistance either because they enjoy it when AF- I lose. AFK. AFK. Not, not to be confused with JFK, who was a phenomenal oh, yeah. president. Yeah. Ask for kindness is what I'm thinking mm. right now. Mm. Will Dalton. But the way that Dot just reacted there. Talk it out. Talk it out. What do you think, Will? Well, WD. I've heard AFK away from keyboard. Oh. And if it's his daughter, she might have been playing a game of some kind. Probably. Checks out. Mm. So. Since mm. you've heard it and you're younger than I am, I'm going to trust that you might know what you're talking about. Away from keyboard is my final answer. See, AFK is used a lot with the gamers mm. because when you're away from your keyboard, you have to let them know when yeah. you're talking and carrying on like that. As 100% correct, AFK away from <laughs> keyboard. Josh Graham gets a satisfactory grade today yeah! in grammar school. Congratulations, Let's go! Josh Graham. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. AFK blew my mind. I said, what is AFK, girl? Away from keyboard, Dad. Yeah. Oh. Had to let them know. Yeah, I need to put you in a school where they got metal detectors. Well, that's it. I don't <laughs> like what's going on. I don't well, like what's going on. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's it for Dot on today's show. He's going to oh. be AFK. Yeah, I am. He's about to be AFK. And I am. The rest of this show, I'll tell you what. The last hour knocked. Woo! Make our show a lot smarter and to potentially fill me with shame when we play out precise the guys is our friend brian geisinger from accsports.com let's go all nba tonight it is game three of the nba finals has anything surprised you through the first two games at golden state 
Not yet. No. Um, I do think it is like a little noteworthy though, that I think Steph Curry has been hands down the best player in this series. And I don't think he's even played like that great yet. Like I think he's got another level to get to. So I wouldn't say that that is that much of a surprise. Uh, I think maybe we had had this conversation after game one, some of the surprise could have been just some of the shooting from guys like Al Horford and Derek White for Boston that helped propel them to that comeback and in, in game one victory. But so far, no, nah, I kind of just need to see more, more basketball from this series. If I'm going to actually be, um, you know, sort of like knocked off my rocker a little bit, I think. How would you assess the way Jason Tatum has played thus far? A little uneven. I mean, I think that in, look in game one, the shooting obviously wasn't, there that's sort of a no-brainer but I still thought he like hit the pressure points of Golden State's defense um I thought the playmaking and passing for him was pretty good in game one and I, I don't know like I think he'll play better he's not going to shoot 30 percent for the whole series um but so far like this has not been like the fastball from Tatum I think although I think in game one people were kind of like you know, knocking his performance a little bit in that game. And I, I still think he actually did a lot of good stuff for them um, as a primary creator. It's just tough against Golden State's defense. They're really, really good. And having Draymond Green out there as a switch defender or a helper, a guy that can shade, that can really cause Boston some problems. And a lot of that stuff gets focused at Jason Tatum. So it's a tough matchup, but I, I expect him to play better going forward. I'm going to list. It was a funny moment in his press conference yesterday when he was talking about whether or not he's a superstar. And he said, well, who decides if you're a superstar or not? Because I hear people attaching that to me now. I'm going to list off seven guys, BG. You tell me if you would take Jason Tatum over any of these seven players. Giannis, LeBron, Jokic, Luka, Embiid, Steph, KD. Would you take Tatum over any of those seven? Well, are we talking about like to one game, the- one game, one- you need to win it one game. No, I'm not taking him over any of those guys. Um, but those are also like some, I mean, you the top seven them, guys in the sport, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, like it now this conversation changes to like, who do you want for the next five years? Well, then like Giannis, Luca and Tatum are like probably your top three guys there. If it's for- and same, same. It's for, if it's for like the next, well, if it's for the next 10, you might say, Luca Tatum or Luca Giannis and Tatum, something in that order. But uh, but that's tough. I mean, like it's tough to be great. This is the steepest of curves to be graded along, right? Um, I think Tatum's been incredible this season. They don't get to here without him. He just turned 24. He is a superstar. Um, and he's got his team three games away from winning a title with him as the best player. So like he deserves to be in that conversation, I think. But it's just very obvious that the other guys are uh, are uh, are not ahead of him. Brian Geisiger with us here on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Game three of the NBA Finals tonight at nine o'clock. I need to ask you something about Draymond Green. It's hard for me to figure out what specifically to ask because even though Steph, we can agree, probably the most important player for the Warriors, I, I think you could make an argument in Game Two that Draymond might have been the best player on the floor, at least second, given how important he was, all the things he was doing. What exactly is being asked of Draymond, and what are some things tonight that we can watch and look at 
as indicators that he's having a really strong impact on the game. Yeah, I think with Draymond defensively, if you want to focus in on that, you got to watch. Uh, you got to like take your eyes away from the ball, which is tough, right? And, and look, Draymond can be a very good defender on the basketball. He can switch around and, and really cause problems for guys one on one. He's very good at doing that. But so much of like his genius, his brilliance, is what he does as a within it with his with his anticipation defensively, with his ability to cause get steals, blocks the ability to show help and recover, um, the ability to close out under control and contain a drive, the ability to get in a passing lane. He just plugs every hole on the backside of Golden State's defense. He takes every matchup. So for me with him, like if you really want to see his greatness, I really think it starts with the defense and it starts with what he does as a team defender while also acknowledging the fact that like, yeah, he can pretty much switch and stick with anybody as a one-on-one defender too. Then offensively with him, it's just watching the basketball with it in his hands and watching how everyone else orbits around him. The dribble handoffs to Steph Curry, the split action with Klay Thompson, and everything Draymond does as this sort of like roving screener because of his ability to hand off and slip and get into the short roll and pass. It just unlocks everything with the sort of like the way when Golden State wants to transition offensively from going sideline to sideline, side to side, to getting downhill, he's the hub for all of that. He's the guy that's the the access for them in the middle of the court. So defensively, it's watching what he does away from the basketball. In offense, it's watching how those guys orbit around him and what that creates for catch-and-shoot jumpers or, you know, one, two passes later where the ball is, just essentially like what his screening and passing creates for them, um, both in the primary action and in the secondary action on offense. Will Dalton's got his Carolina – gear on today we'll play out precise the guys in a second afterwards we'll talk about the matchup that carolina baseball has with arkansas this weekend is super regional a lot of will dalton a lot of the wd to close out the day show where we got ticket to the house we've got your tar heels to talk about and you've got some questions for bg and i right now in a segment we call Out Precise the Guy. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to Out Precise the Geis. There we go. Okay. So we've been talking a little bit about Jason Tatum already this segment. He struggled with turnovers quite a bit this season. And he actually leads the playoffs in turnovers, as a matter of fact. Fun fact. And that is where we will start. How many of those turnovers does he have this postseason? The entire postseason. Postseason. Oh. Yeah, we've been playing a lot of basketball up to this stretch here, too. A lot of basketball. Some long series. Uh, including a seven gamer <laughs> and a, <laughs> and a sweep. Yep. Um, I will go with, I'll go with uh, 75. This is definitely wrong. Then I got 87. It's 83. Whoa. 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 I oh. thought, I thought I was going way too high. And then when I heard BG go, 75. I thought for sure I was toast there, but it's more than you think. All right. Yeah, Coming in hot over there. That is a lot of turnovers. That's probably close. 
through four and a half turnovers a game? That's oh, like and, four and a half. And by the way, Jalen Brown is second on that list with 60. Keep an eye on that tonight. Mm-hmm. 15 is the magic number. 15. The, the Celtics are uh, 12 and 2 in this postseason when they turn it over uh, 15 times or fewer. When they turn it over more than 15 times, 1 and 5. Jalen Brown is awesome, but that that dude does occasionally forget how to dribble the basketball, which uh, which can be a bit of a problem. Yes. Next up. All right, Draymond Green. He was never an elite level scorer. Um, you know, low to mid teens, he averaged. You know, when the Warriors were going up against the Cavs, what seemed like every year and was for four years. Uh, this year, more so in the single digits. He's the defensive force. He's the assist guy over there. What is his field goal percentage here in the postseason? Oh. Oof. That's oh. tough. That's a tough one. Um I'm gonna go I'm gonna go fifty one percent. I went forty one. Give it to him. Fifty point four percent. See? When you tick off the guys. He gets uh, back. Yes, he does. He gets back. I'm going to be within a point on this next one, and that's what happens. You know what? It pays to play next to Steph Curry is uh, is what that statistic will tell you, too, because Draymond <laughs> can't really shoot, but uh, <laughs> playing next to S-Dot, uh, that'll make things look, uh, look a little easier around the basket. All right. I've got one right. BG's got one right. It comes down to this. Mm-hmm. Will I win for the first time in forever? Well, it's come down to this guy a couple different games for the Celtics. Al Horford. Oh. I feel like he's had like three different games where people said, oh, he won't do that again. And then he does it yeah. again somewhere down the line. Um, What is his points per game here in the postseason? Oh, boy. Variance. Variance is the word <laughs> I will use. Yeah. I'll go, um, I'll go 11. I got 19. It is 12.1. <laughs> yeah, I hate this game. I hate it. I don't like you, it. You way overshot that. I know, one. I know, I know. He I was, just toyed with you on that first uh, question. He, he had two the other night. What am I thinking? Like, yeah. Because I know yeah. he had a 30-pointer, not just in the first game. He had another one earlier in the playoffs, but variance. He's been awesome. Uh, even when he doesn't score, he's still like a very useful player, sort of a la... Draymond with Golden State, but man, yeah, what a renaissance for him in the postseason. Enjoy the finals tonight, BG. It's uh, it's going to be a magical June for you because you've got obviously the finals, but we are two weeks and one day away from the NBA draft as well. Yeah, it's very exciting. Ready, ready for the twenty-two draft cycle to come to its its close. Uh, but yeah. The last two weeks out here, exciting times to say the least. On Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Appreciate you doing this, BG. Yeah, you guys be good.